the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus turns 52 years old this year, older even than some of its current members. But in that time, how much progress have African Americans and other racial or ethnic minorities really made in Illinois? I was born in 1971, and I'll tell you, I feel like in many ways, in 2019, we are back to where we were in the 60s. That's State Representative Emanuel Chris Welch, a Democrat from the Chicago suburb of Hillside and one of the leaders in the General Assembly, pushing hard this year on issues of social justice and equity. Hello, and welcome back to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. Issues about social justice and equity have been around for a long time in the Illinois State House, but this year, with Democrats holding supermajorities in both chambers and Democrat J.B. Pritzker in the governor's office, those issues are now making their way into all kinds of legislation. Supporters of legalizing recreational marijuana, for example, argue that communities of color have been especially impacted by the war on drugs. They're pushing to make sure that in any legalization bill, those same communities get a fair share of any licenses to grow or sell legal pot. And in discussions about passing a big public works program, what lawmakers call a capital bill, there will likely be guarantees that companies owned by women, minorities, and people with disabilities get a fair share of the contracting. Meanwhile, Representative Welch is pushing a bill that stirred controversy when it passed the Illinois House on March 29th it would require publicly traded corporations that are either organized or headquartered in Illinois to have at least one African-American, one Latino, and one woman on their boards of directors. The bill is now pending in the Senate. No disrespect, Representative, but is this a real bill? This is a real bill. This is blowing my mind. You guys are going to put your governor, our governor, on the books for being the biggest busting, business-busting person in the nation. No, I think Rauner has that title already. You are putting him on a spot here that is not going to help him, I'm telling you. That was just some of the discussion that took place on the House floor, with Republican State Representative Tony McCombie of Savannah asking questions. But to find out more about this particular bill and the social justice and equity agenda in general, we sat down with Representative Welch in his office in the Capitol complex and started off by asking him, where did the idea of mandating diversity on corporate boards come from? Well, actually, it's a bill that was ripped right from the headlines. Honestly, uh, you know, I saw it in the news uh, late last year uh, when the state of California uh, passed the bill and it was signed into law. I was reading it and I thought, wow, what a great idea this was. And the more I, 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 I looked into it, the more I thought it needed to go a, a step or two further. Now, the California law was basically just gender diversity. Right? The California law was basically gender diversity. It required one woman on every publicly held board. And uh, I took it a step further by, by adding the, the gender, the race, and the ethnic diversity. A couple of things. When, as an attorney, obviously, you know about suspect classifications in the law. Generally, governments have to show a compelling state interest before they enact a law that treats people differently on the basis of race, gender, and this bill does both. What is the compelling state interest in making sure that corporate boards have ethnic and gender diversity? Well, let me say this, and uh, 
I will tell you, uh, I think there is a legitimate state interest in uh, promoting equity, parity, and diversity. Uh, the data is pretty clear that when uh, corporate boards are diverse, uh, those companies perform better. In fact, the diversity actually propelled those companies to perform better. And so another state interest would be, uh, besides your promoting the diversity, your businesses will actually be performing better. They'll be collecting more in taxes because they're performing better, and we'll be able to do more things with our budget. But is it the job of state government to tell corporations how to perform better? Well, historically, states have gotten involved in several things when they needed a nudge. Uh, would we have civil rights if people didn't organize and push for laws that promoted civil rights? Uh, I don't see this any different. H having us represented in rooms of publicly held corporations uh, that are, 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 have declared that this is their principal executive offices, uh, where they're doing business, they're making money off of these communities, uh, millions of dollars off of these communities. Why wouldn't we want them represented? Uh, and this is exactly where a state should be nudging. And corporations, to be clear, are in fact creatures of the state. That's correct. Yeah. Um, there's another legal issue that I read about. I think it's called the one state doctrine. It says that only one state government has jurisdiction to regulate the internal affairs of a corporation. So, and I think this came up in the committee hearing. If a corporation like an insurance company is organized in Delaware, but they have a corporate headquarters office here in Illinois, don't you have two states, Delaware and Illinois? Regulate? So this, this bill was patterned after the law that was uh, run in California. Those same arguments were raised in California, uh, and their law has not been challenged. It was erroneously stated in committee today over in the Senate that it had been challenged. That law has not been challenged. Those were just threats and fear-mongering from the opponents, just like the, this, it's the same threats that are here. It's something that we, we see all the time. I believe that the law is tightly written uh, where a corporation declares on their own accord where their principal executive offices are located. That's what's going to govern. So if a corporation declares that their principal executive offices are in Illinois, based on their own actions, they're submitting to our jurisdiction. I believe that's legally sound. I believe this bill is morally, politically, and ethically correct, uh, and I think it's the right thing to do. And if I'm a corporation, I want to be welcoming of this law uh, because we know that diversity propels performance. And it does raise the question what corporation wants to go on record and go into court challenging something like that. It, I, I'll be surprised if there's one. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, these corporations that we're talking about, our Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies with big brands, uh, and they want to be in the business of promoting diversity. They're not in the business of fighting it. Okay. More broadly, though, I see the same issue coming up in lots of different forms in the proposed marijuana legislation where uh, it actively encourages giving licenses in communities that have been disproportionately impacted uh, by the war on drugs. Uh, there's a bail reform bill out there to basically do away with cash bail. Um, you see it even in the capital bill where there's a lot of concern about whether or not the contracts will be awarded fairly. Broadly speaking, has the minority, minority communities in Illinois 
really been locked out that much in terms of state contracting, in terms of getting state licenses, that, that sort of stuff. Well, you know, if you look at the data uh, in all of the contracts, uh, you know, that we deal with across the state, we are underrepresented and we are, far, uh, it's far uh, underrepresented. We can do better. We must do better. And that's why I think it's important uh, for people like me uh, who have been sent here to represent uh, communities uh, that look like me, I have to be their voice. Uh, and that's what it's all about. When we are elected to uh, be a representative of a community, we shouldn't be afraid to come here and raise these issues. We have to fight for inclusion. We have to fight for equity and parity. Uh, and that, that, that's not just in any one particular area. It has to be everywhere across the board. I asked Leader Lightford this uh, a couple of weeks ago. The Legislative Black Caucus is now 52 years old. I think it was formed in 67. Um, how much, looking back, and I know you clearly weren't involved in it for that length of time, but how much progress do you think the Legislative Black Caucus has made, and how influential of a group is it now? Well, I've been here seven years. I'm in my fourth term. Uh, Senator Lightford is my home senator and uh, my mentor, and uh, I will tell you, under her leadership, I've seen us grow tremendously as a joint caucus. Uh, I think we work well together. We've come a long way. I think we've, we've done quite well in developing and forming our agenda and fighting for the communities that send us here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what our goal is, is, is and our duty is to pave the way for those that come behind us uh, to continue that fight and, and feel uh, uh, encouraged uh, yeah, and uplifted to come in here and make that fight. Uh, I think the Black Caucus uh, uh, is something that's desperately needed. It was desperately needed back then, uh, and it's going to continue to be needed for years to come. 1967, of course, was a time when African Americans all over the country were still knocking at the door trying to get into the halls of power. You're here now. Do you sense a change? Well, I was, I was born in 1971, and I'll okay. tell you, uh, I feel like in many ways uh, in 2019 we are back to where we were in the 60s uh, based on what I've looked at. In what way? Well, I mean, if you look at uh, things that are just going on across the nation, in, in 2019 we, we shouldn't be saying uh, the first African-American woman was elected lieutenant governor of the state of Illinois. We should be at, some, at a point where things have become the norm. Uh, and too often we're, we're still hearing, this person's the first, this person's the first. Uh, this country is over 200 years old. This state just made 200. And we're still talking about being the first. Uh, you know, yes, we've made great strides, but we can do better. And inclusion and diversity and equity should be the norm. Let's go back to the corporate diversity bill that we're talking about. Women comprise 51% of our state population mm-hmm. and hold only 20% of board seats. African Americans comprise 15% of our state population and hold only 9% of the seats, while Latinos hold are 17% of our population and hold only 3% of corporate board seats. We're in 2019. We shouldn't need a law to tell us that uh, inclusion, diversity, and equity is, is important and and these numbers should be addressed. But these are the numbers as they are. And that's why this law is needed. So the bill got through the House last month. Um, it's now making its way through the Senate. Do you get a sense that it will pass the Senate? 
Well, you know, I, I feel encouraged. Uh, I've, I've, I've been keeping close contact with Senator Chris Belt from East St. Louis, uh, who's doing a great job advocating over there. Uh, I know that committee uh, is, is, a little, is a tough committee that he's facing. They had a subject matter hearing that went well. Uh, I do expect it to, to be called for a vote and pass and uh, eventually get through the Senate and put on the governor's desk. The chair sounded, though, like she thinks it still needs some more work and the clock is ticking on this session. Yeah. Uh, you think it can get done? Well, she's one vote, and, you know, our job is to get her some information. Uh, we're already educating her a little bit more since that, that committee meeting, and uh, hopefully she'll get there. Representative Welch, thank you very much. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you. That was Democratic State Representative Emanuel Chris Welch. And that's it for this edition of Capital Cast, a podcast of Capital News Illinois a nonprofit statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. We provide statehouse coverage to more than 400 newspapers throughout the state. If you think that kind of coverage is important in your community, you can show your support by supporting your local newspaper, either with a print subscription, a digital subscription, or even picking up a single copy the next time you're at a newsstand. This has been Capital Cast. I'm Peter Hancock.